simplify your problem. I think this is the most valuable communication advice I would have for a young founder. Especially if you build a completely innovative product, which is a completely new service. People think real estate, but real estate has like so many different aspects to it. All those aspects would be enough to build its own product around, right? So you kind of also want to be clear towards the customer what they expect. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My name is Oliver Aust, bestselling author and CEO and founder of EOPSA Communications. And with me today is Janis Fischer. Janis is the founder and CEO of Vermieter.de, which is the leading solution, market leading solution, really, for private landlords in Germany. Now, Janis, you seem to me as a born entrepreneur. Are entrepreneurs born or made? What do you think? Hi, Oliver. Glad to be here. Well, I, I would struggle a bit to say that they're born in the way that I think entrepreneurship is so great that everyone should become an entrepreneur. And so if you're born, you don't have that chance. So, so really, um, I think um, an entrepreneur means being made into that if you want to do that, if you strive for that. And um, so actually, if I recall my personal journey, um, I didn't always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I kind of discovered it on the way. And now it's, uh, I think, the best thing I could possibly imagine for myself. Yeah, I mean, my, my personal theory is that you, you're either born an entrepreneur and I know some people have never worked a single day of their life for someone else, or others like me had a fuck this event and just decided <laughs> to become entrepreneur somewhere down the line. But, you know, that, that's just my two cents. Now, tell us a bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, I, I mean, like I always was interested in um, doing my, my own thing. I, I think I did a lot of stock trading when I was in high school. And so I think my, my first real entrepreneur journey started in um, in business school, actually, um, when, of course, you had all these opportunities to be part of all these types of um, initiatives. But I really wanted to like do something on my own. So um, we tried a couple of things. But I think the first thing that was a real business was our dry cleaning company, um, which we basically um, uh, started in the little town that we studied in um, and sold at the end of the studies. And so that was my first real touch point with like how you run a business and like how you lead employees. And then and it led on to, to all the other things that I did afterwards. <laughs> and and uh, why, why dry cleaning? Did you, have, did you have a passion for dry cleaning? Like, like uh, being passionate about dry cleaning sounds a bit bold of a statement to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like uh, really like, so what we did, we had a little consultancy and we're consulting like local businesses on how to customize their products better for the students, which were like a large group of the population in that town, right? And so um, we made some money that way, like built Facebook pages, like websites, all that kind of stuff. And at one point in time came across this dry cleaning company um, and they were looking for someone to also invest. And so we did that. And actually, instead of just consulting, build the business with that. Right. And the next step after finishing your studies was Rocket Internet, I believe. Yeah. So so this is actually, there's this, uh, I think, a commencement speech by Steve Jobs, where he says, like, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And I think this is very much true because, like, then again, we, we did this dry cleaning business purely out of an opportunity that arose back then, right? And so we said, 
um, okay, let's do it, whatever. And then later on, Rocket started a company called Zipjet, which was online dry cleaning. And so this is how I got in contact with them and actually ended up working for Rocket, um, actually because of the so-called domain expertise I had in dry cleaning, if, if you can call it that. that. That's great. Domain expertise in dry cleaning. Mm -hmm. And then you went to Food Panda, that, that's mm -hmm. also Rocket Internet. And at some point you decided to jump ship and put your own rocket ship, right? So, so after, um, so I started for Rocket at Zipjet and then I went on to another role there um, as managing director for Food Panda in Hong Kong. Um, and then I came back um, and said I wanted to start something on my own. I had the opportunity to work um, with Cherry Ventures for a while um, and saw a couple of um, exciting business models there. And so in the meantime, looked at um, what my own company would be. And so um, out of all the opportunities that I've seen, I was like, okay, I really want to do something that I understand because like starting a company is a risk on its own and you have so many things to overcome. So I want to do something that I understand and, and, and where I can see what the problem really is. And so um, I had been managing my grandparents' apartments um, for uh, quite a while. So I have a very clear relationship with my grandparents. And well, if you move out away from home, you can't really mow the lawn anymore or anything, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to look after your apartments. So just a couple of apartments. Um, in Hanover, but like very typical German thing, you know, people buying into real estate as some sort of a retirement strategy. And so basically managing that meant like doing Excel files and having one of those, you know, very German lights folders where all the papers go in. And that was not a very nice experience. And I spoke with a couple of friends of mine that were in a similar situation and I had been going to those owner assemblies and all these kind of things that you do there and we were all pretty frustrated and I was like okay well but if I'm having this problem and if my friends that are in a similar situation have that problem then we might be onto something here and, and especially if you th see like that the like population right now who owns real estate tends to be a bit older, but it's getting younger and younger, right? The millennial generation moving into money, et cetera, et cetera. So we said, okay, like, let's start a company around this. If we can build a tool which helps us to manage these properties, that solves a huge problem. And actually, because there are so many people that own real estate in Germany, um, if you solve this for them, you can get access to like a huge market. And that was the initial idea behind the meet day. Thank, thanks for sharing that. I believe the original brand name was Zen Homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so initially we, we said Zen Homes, it gives you the peace of mind around the homes, so plural that you own, right? Um, but we very in, uh, quickly also saw that um, we need a brand name that immediately installs trust and that is recognizable. Um, so um, we said, okay, Familia.de kind of nails it down very much for the German population, which was always obviously the market in which we started. Um, so we decided for that brand name, for that specific first product that we wanted to do, which was the software to enable Androids. That's interesting. Was Sandhams more of an MVP, so a minimum viable brand? Or did you assume that would be the final brand name? And the reason I'm asking is because in so many of these conversations with founders, um, you know, it comes back to branding and rebranding. And the question of rebranding, interestingly, can come up after a week or it can come up after 10 days. So how was it for you? I mean, I think there's a lot of things to, to consider there, right? Um, so, and you start out, you, of course, want to just look like what domains are free, does this resonate with my product, but also like do I have a name that tells international investors, for instance, what you're doing and or that you can use if you build a global company, right? So we had that in mind, but at the same time, especially if you build a completely innovative product, which is a completely new service, 
I think it can be helpful if the name tells the customers what to expect. And, and so we were always trying to navigate this field and of course also thinking could event at one point have Xenoms more than just this one product for me today, right? So this was always a duality that we tried to, to navigate, right? Similar like for employees, like coming internationally, like for me today, you need to understand German what it means, right? Um, so this was the, the, um, the ideas we had in mind back then. Yeah, and for me today basically means rented and I think it's a brilliant name because your brand name already tells the story and says what the product does. Absolutely. So you have to invest less time and less marketing spend uh, getting people to understand what you do. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I think especially if, um, so, so, so I mean, like if you start a company and it's just a copycat of something that already exists in the United States and it's like very consumer driven or something like that, where it's very clear from the start what this is about, um, then it, like the name doesn't matter. Like the name needs to be just memorable in the sense, right? Of course the name matters, but like from a different perspective. But I think in our case, I mean, like people think real estate, but real estate has like so many different aspects to it, right? Like managing it, um, um, selling it, renting it out, financing it. And, and technically all those aspects like would be enough to build its own product around, right? So you kind of also want to be clear towards customer what they expect. That makes sense. What I like about this digital product is that you created a completely new market and then in a relatively short period of time became the market leader. So you created a market, then you started to dominate it. Is that fair? I think that's very fair to say. I think in the beginning, we, we had this issue of people telling us whether the market or not was big enough, right? Because I mean, also something very typical in real estate is that everyone has an opinion about it, right? Because everyone lives somewhere. Um, and of course, it's not that you are like, I don't know, building a rocket and like people don't have expertise. So here, everyone has an opinion, wants to give advice. And so people were like, okay, but like, don't they have a property management company to do that? And we were like, well, no, if you look at the numbers, most people manage the properties themselves, right? Or aren't they too old? Well, maybe for a time being, but this is a generational thing and there's a new generation moving into the market. Don't they have Excel pen and paper for that? Yes, true, but like we also had pen and paper for sales software 10 years ago, right? And everything is being replaced by software. And, and I think the difference here is because um, this in particular, like the, the structure of the market and what big of a need it is, is also much a German thing because there's no other country in Europe that has as many landlords and as many private landlords as Germany does, right? So there was not this one company in the United States that was already doing this and raised like hundreds of millions of funding. This was really an innovative product with in an unproven market. And so people in the beginning were quite skeptical if we would actually get to the size of making like this impact that we're doing now. And so over the years, we were showing them, well, like we're getting the customers and they are adapting, which this one uh, was very successful uh, journey, as you said, but like it didn't look like that in the beginning. And I guess on your journey, you had to convince quite a few people to invest, to join the team, become a customer. What did you learn about communications and the process? Well, I think it's um, it's always important to, especially in these complex situations, to somehow give somewhat give, give narrative, right? So, um, especially in this case, um, like if you build a product for landlords, um, and not many of, for instance, your employees are landlords in the beginning, then of course it's very imp important to create this empathy with people, like how the customers feel about this, right? Um, similarly, um, when you think about 
the potential of familial DA. Um, and Peter Thiel always says, says this in this like in his book uh, Zero to One. He says like find a niche and expand from there, right? So similar like in the communication to investors, you have to um, communicate how big this really can be and what the true potential is. So and and so these two things like what the problem is that you're solving and and that is really a problem and t- telling a story about that and then giving people perspective what solving this story could eventually mean for them as employees of this company as well as investors uh, investing in this company i think and that, that that's the prime role of of um, also being the founder being able to communicate that and being able to tell the story around that because that's what people can relate to Absolutely. I mean, as a CEO, you're also the chief storyteller of the business and you have to adopt your story depending on who you talk to, whether that's investors, prospects or customers. After all, all communications is audience specific. But what did you do at the beginning or say in the beginning that you thought would work well, but didn't in the end? Well, I, I think um, I wouldn't say that things generally don't work, but they take significantly longer than expected. And I think this is not only true for like certain things in a company and especially in a tech company, right? I mean, like people tend to forget that technology is just hundreds of thousands of lines of code. And yes, it's beautiful what we can do with that, but each and every one of these lines needs to be written and they only work if they all come together. And like, especially people with no technical background whatsoever. And before I started this journey, I didn't have that. They, they just look at the functionality and say like, well, this has to work. It's not that easy. Like it's so hard to, 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 to like click that button and it does this. Well, like it's not that hard to imagine that. I think with the same as you do like PowerPoint slides or like build a picture, very easy to imagine a beautiful picture, but actually painting it is very hard, right? And so I think the similar, similar thing is there when, when it comes to, to building code, to building a product. Like it's very easy to tell the 10 things the, comp- the, the, the platform should be doing, but that building it is a different thing. So I learned that the hard way for, for sure, that just things take time. And I think you can extrapolate the thought to um, also like building a company in general takes time. Um, so I speak a lot to like younger founders, um, people like seeking angel investment, etc. And you usually have this idea as a founder and I wouldn't exclude myself back then that you do this for two, three years and then you're done. But like, that's just not the reality, right? Like, even if you look at the very, very successful companies, billion dollar um, IPO, like it takes 10, 15 years, right? And and so um, I think this is one of the most overlooked things as well, that building a company takes time and you better do it because you like the topic the company wants to solve and the people you're working with because if you don't like that you're probably not going to stick around for long enough to make it a success that's interesting i don't think anyone of the podcast has ever compared writing code building a company with crafting your message and i totally agree by the way it usually takes way longer than people think especially if they haven't really been involved in this process of finding your message market fit and you know they think well i know what it is i can explain it easily and just write this down but once you write it down and test the messages it becomes clear that you're not there yet it's tough work to come up with the right stories and messages for each of your audiences. And, you know, that that's work I love, by the way, but it's still work. Now, 
you convinced a lot of people as a result and you became market leader. And then last year, you basically sold the company to Scout24. It's been reported that it was the largest property tech exit in Germany. So can you walk us through what happened there exactly? How did it come about? Well, so, so for us, um, when we started the company, we of course always wanted to do more than just managing a property, right? So we always said like managing a property is what you do most of the time. So building that functionality is basically what gives us um, the baseline for becoming the window to the ecosystem of real estate, right? So, however, we, of course, um, looked at all the other things you can potentially do with platform and over time started building that in. For instance, listing and renting out the property. Um, listing and renting out was the first thing we did because it also comes with a high, very high frequency. And so, Immobilien um, Scout being leading classified um, portal in Germany, of course, um, collaborate with us on that. So we um, allowed customers to list on Scout. And so we were um, uh, in close contact with them anyways um, over the years. Um, and so at some point we um, looked at how we want to build the company in the future and um, how we want to scale it further and got to Dakota in, in talks with Scout and actually started exchanging thoughts what like a joint vision could look like um, because um, Scout has this tremendous reach in the market and actually access to literally uh, all rent, uh, uh, landlords in Germany and us we were very much um, focused on building this ecosystem, building the functionality and we said like look if we, we actually want to build the same thing here we have this shared vision of an ecosystem if we combine this we can get there much, much faster. So which eventually led to, to us saying, okay, let's do this together. Okay, and how do you collaborate these days? You're still the CEO for me today. You have your own brand, you have your own identity. Yeah, so so I think what, what the current setup offers is kind of the best of both worlds, right? So of course we um, wanna stay agile. We are a very innovative company. Like we create a lot of functionality. We basically work a lot with customers to serve the specific problem of how to optimally manage your property. Um, and we want to keep that spirit and that, that speed we have there, right? Um, also, we have built a trusted brand for um, this specific use case. Um, at the same time, um, we, of course, want to offer now our product to uh, Scout and to Scout customers, right? So basically, we have been working on merging the products and basically um, giving customers the ability to switch between them. But we are still working as a separate entity to keep that agility and speed. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also want to talk to you about leadership. And you're certainly someone who inspires the people around you. Oh, it's, uh, nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> you like to talk about books, about principles, about values, the values of the company, your values and, and things that inspire you in general. Is this something that comes natural or is it something you deliberately practiced and introduced into your leadership style? I, I think it is. Um, but I also think that um, me as a person, but I think every founder in general evolves over time, right? And so in the beginning, you're the one who basically does everything and does everything yourself in particular. And so over time, of course, as organizations grow and it gets more complex, you simply can't have that impact. Um, I personally think that you still need to have the ability to zoom in 1000% if necessary, because sometimes it is about the details. 
So you need to also to be a believable leader. You need to have the ability to do that. But of course, if you think about like overarching impact and the more people you add to an organization, then you can't, like there's a time where you can steal them by management techniques, but that also only goes so far. And like, if you look at an absolutely gigantous organization, Tesla with, with Elon Musk or Amazon with Jeff Bezos, like whatever they do in terms of like managing individual people or, or management techniques, I think is, won't have this type of impact as basically communicating their values and their story. And um, I think over time, as you progress as a founder, you more and more have to do exactly that. That, that makes complete sense. I just wonder how do you do that in practice? Because you speak to individuals or groups of people or even the whole team at an all-hands meeting, but how do you ensure that it lives on after the conversation? I think um, it depends on what it is. Is it like mission vision or is it values? Like, like is it little techniques? I think one of the most um, trivial things um, which I try to constantly remind myself to get better on is like simple repetition. Because like this is like, especially if you are as a founder and you work with a management team, you kind of assume that everyone knows. Because especially the people that are close to you tend to also know. So that you tend to have this idea that everyone does, right? And so if you're then constantly if you're in the elevator with someone and you're just like checking, like do, and you ask them, you have to start a conversation, you're like, what do you work on? And like, how do you think that contributes? And, and you get to the point where you think like, okay, like but this person like didn't get all the insights they should have to do their job. So I, as a CEO, need to do a better job communicating that. But of course, um, like you can't find 10,000 different ways to explain the same thing instead of I, I, what I think we should do is just repeat what the message is and keep repeating it, right? And you, like I think as a founder, you want to basically use company all hands, which is what we do, right? Like have a repetitive all hands every two weeks where I also take part in and just repeat these kind of core messages that you want people to understand. And over time, this actually becomes a part of the culture. Yeah, I think that's a key point. Um, the CEO is also the chief repetition officer. But has that changed due to COVID? Um, I know you still work in hybrid mode. Has has COVID had any impact on your internal communications? I, I think it's it's uh, had a tremendous impact because, like, first of all, you can't do the small reality checks, right? You can't um, like talk to. I mean, you could. You can just like start selecting people or calling them on random. That's a bit weird, right? So, I mean, like, it's a difference if you walk through the office between calls and you're just checking on someone and saying, like, hey, how are you, right? And then you start a conversation for three, four, five minutes, which should give you an indication of, like, how they feel and if they understand, uh, like, the purpose of their work, right? Um, and so with, with COVID, this definitely doesn't work. And even, like, meeting formats, like, if you have too many people in a Zoom call, people don't ask questions anymore because it's just annoying because only one person can speak. It's not that you stay in the room a bit longer where everyone else leaves and ask like, hey, I had one more question. And I think um, like we, will, we start seeing the consequences of this now that like people just feel less attached to the place where they work because you're just doing it in front of a screen and you're doing some work and the whole meta message um, is like lost. Yeah, And so I think 
we as CEOs need to find ways to cope with that. Yeah, I think that's true for existing teams, but even more true for new hires. Absolutely. Is there a particular way you do that? Well, I think um, what what we're doing is we're investing particular time, right? So we are looking like um, how we can communicate our employer brand. We are looking at it uh, and how to do it better, right? Um, we are starting new initiatives to install the culture we want to see. So, for instance, we um, really believe that everyone should be a landlord because, I mean, that's ultimately the product we're selling to landlords but because we're excited about being landlords. I'm a landlord myself, right? So th this makes total sense. But, like, so how do you get people into becoming landlords? So, so we, we thought about this and we started what we call the Buyers Club. Like, it's a club where basically we come together, um, me, a couple of the other uh, members of management and everyone who's interested, we're doing it in English and German, and basically give people everything they need to know how to buy a property, right? So for instance, next week we have another session, we have a guest speaker where they come and talk about financing. Last week we spoke about like how to do the proper analysis for the location. And so this is something where we basically try to give knowledge to people to buy a property with the effect of them understanding that we really care about our customers and that we want everyone to identify with the customer, right? And actually become landlords themselves. And so I think this might be a good way to teach it to people instead of just repeating something, but to actually interact with us about this. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought because there is a two-way process here, right? Between the knowledge the company has and what the team members could learn from that. And then again, what team members could learn by becoming landlords and being landlords so they can bring that knowledge back to the company and you know maybe understand their job even better so that's really nice and, and i could imagine this is something other companies could emulate not necessarily about buying property but the underlying idea is something that could probably apply to other companies as well now i also wanted to ask you about housing because you're heavily involved and you have a lot of um, insights into the housing market what developments do you think will, will shape housing going forward Well, I think we are looking at a quite an interesting time now when it comes to housing. We we coming from a world where interest rates have been historically low, um, which has been reflected in the asset prices. Um, we're also seeing again um, changes in um, the amount of people coming in. We have currently looking at the Ukraine crisis, a hundred of thousands of people coming into Germany right now, which also has an effect on property demand. Um, we see the effects of COVID. So like now. Uh, people suddenly say, okay, I want to have a room more and basically do more home office. And I personally predict that in the next couple of years, we will also see um, self-driving car take its effect because like suddenly I can say, okay, I just go take the car, drives me there, I can work, do whatever. And so basically, um, I believe that with this, um, people will still come to the bigger cities, but they will probably move rather to the outskirts um, where they have... Um, um, like a garden or like another room more also because prices come up. This is one thing that I think uh, might be happen and um, what the effect of this whole interest rate situation might be. I'm not an economist, um, uh, even though I'm deeply interested in that, so that uh, for someone else to tell, um, but that's definitely also going to be exciting. And definitely more digitalization, right? Because it is still a relatively analog space. Absolutely. I mean, like that, that's for me the, the obvious, right? I mean, ultimately, I, I think if you want to improve anything that comes to building or housing, there's just these two kind of things you can do, right? You can build more or you can administer the space in a smarter way. 
But in order to enable smart administration, you first need to understand what kind of inventory you're looking at, right? And for that, it needs to be digital first. And right now, it's just not. So this is going to be a huge step forward. Yeah, that'd be amazing to see the housing sector fully digitalized. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about your best communications advice for young founders. Good question. Um, like, I think people underestimate the power of a good story. Like, I think um, when you are a founder, especially young founder, and you solve a problem you understand, don't underestimate that the people that you're showing this to don't have that problem and therefore won't understand it. So building the story and telling a story, telling your story, why you believe that this problem needs to be solved and why you are the right person to solve it and how that's going to change the world and like taking this energy that you like feel in your heart as a young founder excited about a problem and trans like making this transpire into the world and, and reaching the other person, may it be the first employee or may it be the investor. I think this is the most important part. So I think sitting down and like taking other per person's perspective and like trying to look with empathy and say, okay, I have this problem, but the other person might have never heard of it. How can I make this very complex problem I might be wanting to solve? So simple. It is very clear for the other person to understand. I think this is like, like simplify your problem. I think this is the most valuable communication advice I would have for a young founder. The power of storytelling and keeping it simple. Thank you, Janis. Janis Fischer, the founder and CEO of Firmita.de. Thank you for your time. Perfect. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. <laughs>